How do we shift away from needing to own all the stuff that makes life easier? Hello and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we explore how circular, regenerative and fair solutions are better for people, planet and prosperity. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting with those people making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll hear from entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. You'll find the show notes, links and transcripts at circulareconomypodcast.com, where you can subscribe to updates and our monthly edition of Circular Insights. Hey, welcome back. It's episode 106. Today we hear from another disruptive startup helping people get more from less shrinking the footprint of production and consumption by improving the utilisation of underused objects. Today, I'm talking to Yale Shima, an environmental entrepreneur and co-founder and chief customer officer of Tulu. Tulu is an on-demand service, enabling people to access things to help them cook, host, clean and do DIY. Tulu operates in residential buildings and student housing, with customers renting things by the hour. It curates the kinds of items residents are looking for, installs a smart unit to display and stock the items with a one-click app to manage access. Tulu is already in 22 cities across three continents, servicing 70,000 households. It was founded in 2018 by Yale and her co-founder, architect Yishai Lahavi. Tulu is now part of the MIT Design X venture program and has already raised nearly $30 million. Yale Shima has led several ventures in the field of urban communities and sustainable living. This year, Yale was selected as a Forbes 30 under 30. We'll hear how Tulu provides benefits for everyone in the system. Landlords are able to create a better experience for their tenants. Tenants get access to equipment and other things that make life easier or more enjoyable. And the equipment brands can create deeper, two-way relationships with customers. Let's meet Yale Shima to hear about Tulu.io. I think that the best way to capture what Tulu does is we're tapping into one of the most fundamental shifts in consumption paradigms, which is moving from the equation of I want something, therefore I buy it, into I need something, therefore I use it. We install modular units in residential buildings, student housing, offices, and soon shopping malls. And we allow people to get access to household appliances, micromobility, um, printers, different solutions for them to use on the go rather than to have to own them. And we are doing it where people live their lives, so in their buildings. And we are currently operating in 22 cities worldwide. We have about 50,000 users and we are partnering with landlords. Amazing, 22 cities already. And, um, you know, how did you come up with the idea? How did you land on this as a, as a way to, to do something really interesting? 
I've always been kind of um, an, an urbanism geek, I would say. I've been really interested in optimizing resources. I was doing my master's degree in environmental science and already thinking about leveraging rooftops. And that interest, alongside my personal adoption of minimalism, led me, uh, led me to go to an accelerator called DesignX in MIT in Boston, which is part of a greater accelerator called Our Generation Speaks which encourages young entrepreneurs to come and spend a summer in Boston and really think about the world's problem and what we can do to solve them. And that's where I met my co-founder, Ishai Lehavi, who's an architect with an extensive technological background from his army service. We spent an entire summer together, starting actually with the built environment and thinking about buildings and what innovation can be done to already build buildings rather than new upcoming developments. And his interest in the built environment and my interest in alternative consumption, minimalism and environmental practices blended into what ended up becoming Tulu today. Mm. And that's interesting that you bring the minimalism aspect into it. I was reading something from, I can't remember if it was uh, Mintel or Euromonitor, um, a while ago about future trends for, um, you know, their their definition of consumers. But they looked right ahead to 2030 and were looking at some of the big trends shaping our behaviour. And rather than it being a desire for minimalism, they were talking about the affordability of living space and the fact that people are having to share space with others, people are having to rent, you know, tiny little flats and, and bedsits and so on. So they didn't have the room to store all this stuff. So it was kind of, you know, it, it fed into the minimalism desire, but from the point of view of, I haven't got the space, so how do I still have access to the things that make life, you know, interesting, more enjoyable, are useful from time to time? So how did you come up with, you know, the, the concept of Tulo and how did you decide what to offer people? So if I take a step back, I wanted to make a comment about our cities and how they're going to play a role in climate mitigation and innovation. And it really comes down to space and it really comes down to us having to face population growth and having to face people living in city, in city centers and then asking, OK, what solutions are we going to create that will A, make people live a good life, but B, will be considerate of the restrictions and that's where I think circularity uh, comes to mind and solutions like Tulu are crucial. Maybe they don't feel crucial today, but they will be extremely crucial. And even the name Tulu, which um, mean, it means an uh, earthy building, it's from China from the 15th century where people would live in those huge circular buildings the outer ring would be only for beds, so really small rooms for the individual, and the inner ring would be for the theater, the laundry, the kitchen, where individual will share their resources. And I think that's how we're thinking about what we're offering. The way Tulu became what it is today was we started a proof of concept in Tel Aviv. We said, you know, we started actually with a fairly small building. We said, what are the common products people are going to want to use that they can share. And the obvious products we chose were laundry machine and a dryer, scooters, printer, and a vacuum. 
And that was our pilot. Little did we know this is an entire world. And what kind of kept to mind was this has to be really elegant. This has to be simple. And it, ha and it has to make a good enough alternative for the other alternative, which is the buying economy, which, you know, I go on Amazon, I go on whatever website I want, and I can get whatever I need within two days, maybe even half a day. We kind of grew this concept really fast. And we said, okay, if these are the first five products, what could be the next 10 products? And started thinking about the jobs to get done. So if Catherine lives in a city and she wants to cook and host and clean and DIY and do all those things, what are products that she's going to need in her daily lives? So we tapped into every major category and thought about the first two or three products people would need in that category and started offering them. And alongside this, which was a lot of testing and experimenting, we would also ask people in surveys, we would send surveys to our friends and to our potential clients and said, you know, if you could rent items in your buildings, what would you rent? And we started getting this really interesting um, wide range of people saying, oh, I would rent a bread maker, I would rent a pasta maker, I would rent a sewing machine. So we would include these items as well. But just like in life, you know, declared preferences versus revealed preferences ends up being people don't actually make pasta, uh, homemade pasta every day. And that all happened during COVID. So people really did want to do it. But eventually we started seeing that the main categories people were actually using was primarily the cleaning category, novelty items like VR headset, PlayStation 5, um, gaming products, and then micromobility, scooters, electric bicycles, regular bicycles, our printing solutions. So, you know, every once in a while, you got to print a page for something and our shop, which is something we offer alongside all our buildings, which is a pillar of consumable goods like ice cream, toilet paper, granola bars, almond milk, different products you can grab on the go. Okay, so... I unpack that a little bit in terms of how it what does it physically look like if I'm you know renting a flat in a building how how do I find out what's there how do I go and get it what do I do with it afterwards so the first time you would hear about us would be before we even lunch you would get a survey um, sharing and we actually encourage our partners landlords to tell their residents we're bringing in this new service to the building Please participate. Let us know what you think. What would you like to see there? Then we would usually have a lunch party where we uh, install the unit and bring in the residents to discover it. And then we show them the product. We teach them how to use it. We actually find found out that a lot of the more complicated products, people said, this looks awesome, but how do I even use it? So in our in-person events, we would kind of bring the items out, teach people how to use it. These are products like a robot mop, upholstery cleaner. So there's a, a discovery event. And then you download our app. The app shows every single category that I shared. So clean, cook, host, play, ride, DIY, shop. And 
within those categories, you get the product and you can see information about the product and you can start renting it. And usually people pay anywhere between a dollar to two dollars for 30 minutes for the on-demand items. We also have longer rented items like an air mattress, a suitcase sometimes, a folding table, which does not make sense to rent for 30 minutes. And then we would do a day pass. Mm. So... I'm guessing the longer rental items, the less used items, they don't necessarily need, need to be on site or is, every, is everything in the building? So the majority of our units, what you have in your building is what you can rent. But in big cities like New York and London, we also offer deliveries. So we call it breaking the glass ceiling of the Tulu unit, where beyond the items you have in your buildings, you could also rent a suitcase for your travel you can also rent a folding table for your guests because eventually we want to be the leading um, company that powers this new usage economy where people can move between cities and then get everything they need via Tulu. And it really can go so many places. So we wanted to start with the 10 or 15 most used items for a building and think of a building as a consuming, consuming units and then tap into more categories of lifestyle. Mm, that, that makes sense. And um, when you were starting to talk about what to offer, you said it was important that it was elegant. And I, I, what does that mean? Does that mean the sort of the physical place where you go to get things or the app or, or both? For what it meant for us was we had moved to New York you know, two entrepreneurs that are talking to massive landlords with that have been in the city for maybe 100 years, some of them, and ask them to put our product in the lobby or in the amenity space where usually they look extremely luxurious. So in order for us to get that permission to try Tulu and to trust us, we also wanted to bring in a product that is appealing to this demographic, to Gen Zs and millennials that are living a busy life, that are seeing this strange thing, oh, why would I ever rent a vacuum cleaner if I can buy one? And make it appealing, make it elegant, make it seem like it's something that is aligned with what you want to do and kind of sell a dream and a vision, which we also tried it in, I would call it the rough and dirty version and people still use it. But I guess when we moved to New York, we really wanted to make sure that our product is aligned with our partner's design and will nudge people to change their behavior. Mm, sure. And it kind of att attracts attention for more than just the utility reasons. And looking at the, you know, that you're already in 22 cities, um, then it feels as if your commercial landlords are going to be really enthusiastic about this. So from their perspective, what, what kind of value does it create for them? We connect three major dots. One of the first thing we noticed is that landlords started offering more and more amenities to attract great tenants to their buildings. And mainly during COVID, realized that building is not just a home is just not just four walls for people to live in but as the city shuts down what can the building offer to its, to its residents and from talking to our partners it really seems like they're just looking for a great living experience 
And when talking to our consumers, which is residents who live in buildings, they're looking for convenience, while brands are looking for exposure and for rewriting a relationship they have with people who buy their products, a relationship after they buy their products, eyeballs on their products. But the tension between residents who live in a building versus the building itself, people look for convenience, they look for experience, and they look for affordability. And these are the three main things we found out. And buildings is where it all happens. And I think landlords are understanding that there's so much innovation that can happen there beyond just offering a gym, a lounge, a workplace. People need to live their life in an affordable way. And that's where Tulu comes in. So I would say mainly an experience. We don't call it a revenue generator, although people, landlords end up actually making money off of it. And they get a stake off the the usage revenue. Yeah. So so mainly for them, it's to be able to offer something a richer experience for the people who are going to be renting um, properties in in their buildings. Um, so yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? That that, that dynamics changed, and now um, the landlords are having to offer more than just you know here's this many square feet of space and you know the two bedrooms that you need um and what about the residential customers i mean obviously they're getting the benefits of access to to kit that they don't need to buy and things that they um you know like a, it's um the kind of um steam cleaning or whatever it's like a distress purchase isn't it yeah you, you haven't decided probably ahead of time that you might need this it's just now you've got a, you know stain on the carpet and you're thinking what do i do so i can i can see those benefits but are there other benefits like um you know connecting them with other residents or you know what else do people get out of it so i would start with a few stats that 80 percent of gen z believe that addressing climate change is critical for our future and they would like to see more brands doing so. And even now this year, they would like to see proofs of how brands are doing it and not just saying that they're doing it. And from the World Economic Forum, uh, we can see that 50% of consumers would actually prefer to rent items rather than to own them if they had the chance. So we believe that building an infrastructure is crucial for behavior change. And Tulu as an infrastructure beyond giving you the access to renting a product like a vacuum cleaner, a steamer, a rice cooker, an air fryer, the products you need, they create an infrastructure for you to change behavior in your building. And I think that aligns with people's vision of how they would like to live their lives. It's a practicality for many people. Um, we see that you know beyond it being more eco-friendly, People see it as a very practical thing. They move apartments every year or every two years and mainly in student housing. It's just, it's the obvious thing. And and we see people that have been using our service for three years and they say, oh, of course my building offers me these products. Why would I have to buy them? So just to answer your question, I think the mindset of the consumer is already there. Then we meet them with the right infrastructure. And when these two are aligned, we're actually offering them either more connection to the building, perhaps people stay longer in the buildings that we have to in, and this is already data we're starting to collect. Um, 
in our parties, people say, oh, my God, it's the first time I've met a neighbor. I've talked to our neighbor. And, you know, going to the origins of this concept of sharing products, we are not the first ones to do it. And we don't want to be the only ones that are doing it. We know that people used to go knocking on their neighbor's door asking for a, a, a cup of sugar, asking to borrow things. I ask my neighbors to borrow things. But we truly believe that there has to be a scalable way to create an infrastructure that happens in buildings that hopefully will manifest into legislation as well, into the way the city is being built. I want to see mayors offering um, local rent uh, rentable centers, uh, rented centers where people can rent things. Um, but in a residential building, that's we're really the first ones to do this concept. And I think people get a, take a pride in it when they see Tulu in their building. Mm. Yeah, I'm really fascinated by the, um, you know, the the deep seated needs of, of Gen Z's in particular to, to feel that they are doing something meaningful um, to help take climate action. So that's a really encouraging trend, isn't it? And I think um, when you talked about the length of time that people typically stay it's easy to envisage a scenario where people would be choosing their next rental on the basis of you know does it have tulu or something similar because if it doesn't i now i've now got this sort of um uh loss feeling that i now don't have access to renting this that, and the other and i do i really want to buy these and find somewhere to store them so i think it won't take long will it for people to to just get used to the convenience of having access to these things and then just kind of think, well, of course I'm going to demand that for the, for the next place that I rent. And what about the, um, the brands that, you know, provide the equipment? Um, how are they interacting with this new concept? Right. Yeah. So just to touch on your last point about residents kind of expecting it, we are frankly not doing a lot of marketing, almost zero marketing. And when people, when people move from one building where they had Tulu to the next building that doesn't have Tulu, they would usually loop us in an email thread and saying, hey, I used to have this service in my previous building. Can we bring it to this new building? And as entrepreneurs um, who have big dreams, we believe this has to be a standard. And to create a standard, it has to be convenient. And we have to evolve, involve all different stakeholders and that's where brands come in from day one we knew brands were going to get involved but the adoption and the curiosity and the interest the business interest but also the innovation uh, interest is is still really humbling to us um you know we've been partnering with brands like bosch that have also invested in us brands like character which is a really big german manufacturer and they've shared with us that they do believe that this is a vertical that every big retailer has to start thinking about. Um, it, it's a vertical, not just in the sense of a business opportunity, but also in the sense that it does not necessarily compete with the buying mindset. It's, it's just another channel, but mainly for Gen Zs who say that they do not want to pay an upfront fee on a vacuum. They do not feel the need to do so. And in the usage economy, maybe they don't call it the usage economy. It's not strange to them. Um, our generation grew up with Uber and Airbnb and getting access to clothes and to a lot of different things. So I think brands are adopting this. Um, and luckily, Tulu um, is there to help them do that. So 
we are excited about a few things with brand partnerships. We're excited about helping brands rewrite a relationship that quite frankly doesn't really exist at the moment, which is the post-purchase relationship of, you know, we manufacture an air fryer and then it goes to the consumer's home and that's it. Um, and, you know, many devices do end up having IoT and I'm sure it's it's only going to get deeper and richer, but there's still a lot of lacking data about the entire world of post-purchase. So we work with our partners and we actually, it's, it's fascinating. We have a partner here in the US that we had to ship them a few products that were used 200 times. They were like, send us the product. We wanna take pictures of them. We wanna see the wear and tear. We've never seen it um, because usually brands don't deal with that aspect of their business. So A, the data the consumer insights, what goes wrong? Um, what happens when you start changing manufacturing from a product that was supposed to be used twice a week to being used a hundred times a week? What products would the usage economy need? How strong, what do consumer, what, what matters to consumers? And, you know, thinking about cleaning appliances, how do you create a product that gives you an incredible experience every time you use it? when it's a different person every time, because if it's your own vacuum or it's your own steamer or it's your own scooter, then it's not working sometimes, that's fine. But when it's a business that really, its core is repeated use of the same item, we need to rethink the design of it. Yeah, I can see that feeding into all sorts of different areas. I was just, when, when you were talking about vacuum cleaners there, um, you know, the different standards that we all we all have, um, you know, sometimes which can bring us into conflict with other family members about, you know, you didn't empty the vacuum cleaner bag before you put it away or you didn't coil the, the cable up properly or whatever it is. Um, so the way of making that, you know, so easy for people to, to get it right. Um, and I'm guessing a lot of manufacturers don't even really think about that. Um, you know, there are there are products that you sometimes get um, and you think, well, why on earth would they design it like this that makes this bit so, so difficult? Um, so I think there's there's lots of insights there. And of course, if you want something to be used enthusiastically by lots of people, then it's got to be super intuitive for them to use. Um, you know, people don't want to have to read an instruction manual before they get going with something, do they? It needs it needs to just be obvious how it's going to work and be super easy for you to use it in a way that, um, you know, makes it good for the next person to use, not for them to have to undo something that you couldn't work out how to do. So I think there's there's all sorts of really interesting benefits for the brands that get on board with this. Um that, as you say, inform both shared use, products that are designed for shared use or suitable for shared use, and products that are designed for people to look after and, and care for and, and, you know, maybe pass on. Um, so I think I, I can really see how that would work. And as you say, the, the potential for ongoing interaction with the customer is also something that's that's largely missing. I mean, how many people, when you when you bought something, bother to fill in the registration card and, um, and you know and, and give any feedback so I think that's got the potential to make such a difference to the circular economy for all sorts of products 
Um, and what about future plans? You know, you've already expanded to 22 cities. What's what's coming next, Yale? A lot is coming up next. I think building a startup in this environment, um, we're really looking at, you know, initiatives that would make this vision come to life faster in the best possible business way. And we are also adding, um, as I kind of touched upon, uh, shopping mall as our next um, adventure. And we are proud to say we're going to be partnering with IKEA uh, this summer in a really exciting project, first of its kind in Sweden called Circuit. It's going to be in north of Sweden. It's going to be a shopping mall where at the entrance, we're going to be building a huge Tulu um, sheen where people who come by the mall can either rent stuff for the weekend plan or for nighttime or for the daily use, but also brands from the mall can um, feature their products, get feedback on their products and have an option to let people try them before they want to buy them or potentially just try them as an experience. And, you know, thinking about a pioneering brand like Ikea choosing Tulu to fuel this new channel is extremely exciting. I think it's just the beginning. And we believe that this has to become a standard and it really needs to meet the consumer where they work, play, leave, shop. So we are open to trying every possible avenue to see what is the most convenient use of people. I think that our go-to market in residential buildings is extremely exciting because big correlation of it doesn't matter. It, it, it actually matters a lot, not only where you rent the item, but where you use the item. And if you rent it somewhere, but use it somewhere else, there is an impact to it. So I think tapping into the residential market and student housing is one avenue. And we're now exploring all these other avenues to see what can be done there to make it as convenient as possible for people to have more experiences with Tulu. Mm. That sounds so exciting and, um, yeah, it'd be really interesting to see where that's going. Um, if there's a link that we can share, whether that's to the news or, um, you know, a, a link to the mile itself, then that would be brilliant. So over the course of developing Tulu, what kind of things have you struggled with and, and what surprised you along the way? So I must, I must say that I have been extremely fortunate to have a really genius co-founder that has been helping me um, and leading our company as the CEO gracefully and relentlessly. It's, I think, the most challenging as a person um, that built a startup at a young age was always holding these two kind of counterintuitive streams of energy with one is always being in tune with the mission and vision and painting a story of what this could become versus having to deal with the short-term nitty-gritty details of the business, of the administrative work on getting it to start um, customer service, um, like really the, the, the things that will actually make it work in the long-term, thinking about them in the short-term. And four years into the making, I think this is the only way to go. You know, you can't just be in the vision all the time. You have to be willing to put your head down and work and do the work and build a business that is always thoughtful of what could go wrong, how to fix things, um, 
what what is our blind spot how to be in tune with our customers and really listen to what they have to say mainly in a field that you're it's such an intimate field you know people take our products into their home they have a bad experience they have a bad experience so it's been really fascinating to always hold that vision and hold the perfect world and how this is going to become a worldwide phenomenal versus you know the day-to-day in the office and I think that's been a challenge but also the biggest reward. Mm, Yeah that's fascinating and I'm imagining it's even more complicated because you've kind of got three types of customer haven't you? You've got the residential end user customer, you've got the um, commercial building operator who you've got to convince to put the thing in there and then you've got all the brands um, you know, and, and that you're now trying to work with to, to help them improve their products so they're more shareable and, and um, short, uh, suitable for short-term use. So, yeah, when you're talking to other would-be entrepreneurs or businesses that want to go more circular, what's the lesson learned or top tip that you share with them? We kind of touched upon it when we started talking. I think that circularity as a framework um, in existing industries is a very incredible thing to say, okay, what's broken in those systems? Let's make them circular. But when you're trying to innovate and you're not even sure this is the right solution, what was helpful for us, you know, our intention was to create a business that makes a positive impact. And our intention was to build a business that will grow big and actually change behavior. And we started with a building we started saying, what does what do all buildings in a city have in common? What are the opportunities? Mapped out the user experience, the potential, and then started designing the circular concept around it rather than starting with a circular concept and finding a problem to it. So I would always say, if you want to innovate and if you want to innovate thing, solutions that eventually would end up being circular, start with the field and the industry, map it out, see all the opportunities. Because if we were not doing that, I think we would never come to the merge between landlords, real estate, and consumerism, which are two crucial industries that have, haven't really gone together in the past. And I think it's because we let our interests and our both, both of our worlds go together, but also mapped out the process. We said, oh, there's a really interesting opportunity to add a micro retail aspect, renting aspect into a real estate concept. And and I think that enabled us to design the solution. Mm. So just to make sure I understand what you're saying, you're talking about looking at the whole kind of process that people go through in their daily lives in the built environment and then thinking about all the different um, I don't like using the word ecosystem, but the, the different kind of systems that sit around that and either constrain them to do something in one way or are missing and kind of looking at how you could um, improve, uh, you know, offer offer something that unlocks some of their unmet needs. Yeah. Yeah, but kind of understanding the entire system to see where the intervention points might be and and what's possible. Exactly. And then also being mindful that you might not have the full system glued up together from day one. Maybe it's a 10-year process, maybe it's a three-year process, but 
when you understand the long-term play of how the ecosystem will evolve and the evolution of behavior and saying, oh, you know, in the, the really desired future, people would live in a building and they have this like smart elevators and they can share products all day long and they can do all those things that are more aligned with the sustainable vision. But, but there's steps that has to be taken and it starts with designing the bigger system and then taking short-term steps. Mm. Yeah, that's I, I really like that. It's it's um, a bit mind blowing, but um, I can, I think I can kind of get a sense of how you've done that. So thanks for sharing that. And is there someone that you'd recommend as a future guest for the program, or a really nice example of a circular economy that you want to share? I've recently come across a company called The Rounds. I think what they're doing is incredible with um, food delivery in Philadelphia and other big cities. And yeah, I think I think that was inspiring to me, seeing companies and entrepreneurs choosing this field, VCs choosing this field, because there's so much opportunity. And I, I bet on entrepreneurs and VCs to make that difference rather than on governments and consumers, because we need people that think fast and execute fast and are willing to take risks while also taking a huge chance and opportunity. So any entrepreneur who's working on a concept um, and has the willpower and the strength to, to execute something, I think is worth talking to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that sounds interesting. I'm going to look them up. And I, I agree. I think it's, I'm seeing much more happening with disruptive startups than I am with existing businesses. And even, you know, the the bigger businesses that we've mentioned a few today in terms of the your suppliers and so on, um, unless they're they've got a, a kind of secret <laughs> secret office with a whole load of circular stuff that they're about to launch on the world, it just feels as if they're really taking baby steps and we know that we need this to happen much more quickly. And that people are really open to it. So it's frustrating that brands are taking so long and nobody really wants to be first mover. Um, so hopefully that will change it <laughs> as, as more and more people get switched on to this. Hopefully it's going to become a flood. And Yale, if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing so that we create a better world, what would that be? There's a lot of things I would change, but I, I don't, I hope that, the majority of what we manufacture in the future will be biodegradable and the concept of landfills would be rethought of. And just, you know, I, I want to see companies stop externalizing their costs of what happens to their product when they die. So if I could use my magic wand, I would make the first steps of production be also tied to the last steps of production and make close more circles on that. I don't, get why it's still a thing um and like you said we have to take bigger steps um, and that's my wish for more companies to take accountability um into what happens at the end of life their products mm, yeah to be properly responsible for everything that they're putting into the market yeah, exactly that's 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 a, a really impactful suggestion i think thank you and before we ask how people can get in touch and find out more is there anything else you'd like to share yeah, I think that entrepreneurship is a wide range. Um, as you know, there's so many things you can do. You can start a company, but you could also take individual steps in your own in your own life. And I think 
it's important. I think it's meaningful for people to talk about it. I think it's meaningful for people to try things in their own homes, to maybe ask their management for products like Tulu. But I I, I really want to stretch that it's the 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 starting a company is not, not the only way to impact. You can do so many other things. There's so much space for everyone to participate in circular economy. And I want to see more fellows and more people from my generation taking steps and, and rethinking their daily practices and the companies they work with. So I, I believe that all of us should join forces and do that. So that would be my, my wish as well. Yeah, thank you. And I think it speaks to the desires of particularly the younger generations to feel that they are making a difference and helping support action on climate, on biodiversity, on rebuilding communities and so on. And I think that's missing from the kind of, um, um, you know, how do we solve the problem lists for lots of, lots of companies. They're just not thinking about the deeper needs of people. They're thinking about the superficial or how the, how they can create the, the perception of a need, you know, the, the new new um, garment that the influencer's just worn or whatever it is. But really those aren't satisfying our deeper needs for connection, for feeling like we're, we, you know, we, we're adding value to the world. Um, and I think that's that's a, an area that lots of, lots more entrepreneurs and established businesses could be thinking more about. So, Yale, how can people find out more and get in touch with you and, and find out about Tulu? We would love to get connected on Instagram or LinkedIn. You can follow our page of Tulu and see our new cities. We're actually going to be launching in Madrid next month. So we always announce new partnerships in cities. And if you want to collaborate as a content creator, there's so many opportunities to work with us. We're really believing in building this together with our generation and with people who are interested in, cir in circular economy as a topic. So I would say mainly Instagram and LinkedIn is where you can find us. Um, same with me, just look up my handle and say hello. I'm super open to feedback. I love connecting on this topic. Brilliant, thank you. And uh, we'll put all the links in the show notes. And for people listening, um, just to, to clarify that Tulu is T-U-L-U. Um, so um, easy, easy to spell, T-U-L-U. And yeah, it, I think it's just so exciting and looking forward to seeing what happens next. So Yale, thanks so much for sharing that story so far with us. And best of luck with the IKEA launch and all the other good stuff that's coming soon. Thank you so much, Kathleen. It was a pleasure. I loved the inspiration for Tulu as a brand name from those community dwellings in China huge circular buildings wrapped around communal spaces. The original word for these is spelt slightly differently. I've put a link to the Wikipedia entry in the show notes. Yale explained how they mapped it all out. Who are the key actors in the system and where do their interests overlap? What's changing? How are our mindsets and behaviours shifting? What might people be overlooking? Tulu looks for opportunities in the gap between what people really want and what's available to them now. What are the options for bridging that gap? Maybe our accepted way of doing things doesn't work for lots of people. Instead, Tulu's using circular approaches and new technology to provide solutions that work better for brands, landlords and households with a smaller resource and environmental footprint.
And it's abundantly clear that people want this. Yale told us that residents are looking for convenience, experience and affordability. Tulu makes it easy to access the added value equipment you need without the burden of ownership. As Yale explained, people get used to this really quickly and it soon becomes normal to rent things. Customers love this so much they're asking Tulu how to get the system into the next place they're moving to, plus they're telling their friends and family, and that's all opening the door for Tulu to have conversations with more landlords and more product manufacturers. Tulu, like many of the circular disruptors we hear from, does almost zero marketing, and we can imagine that's a big cost-saving. On the Tulu website, I noticed the results of a survey of 2,500 residents in 15 buildings across New York City. More than half the residents used Tulu, over three quarters rated Tulu as their favourite building amenity, and over 80% would be disappointed if it was no longer available. And there are soft benefits too. Yale told us about residents being overjoyed about meeting their neighbours, through the interactions around the Tulu service. Yale told us that 80% of Gen Z see climate as critical to their futures, and they want to see brands taking action. They want more than words and promises. They want proof of positive impacts. By being part of Tulu's portfolio, brands can show how they're helping shrink the footprint of production and consumption by helping customers use their products in a way that's more convenient and affordable. We get more use from fewer resources with less waste. Alongside this, brands are looking for exposure, ways to get noticed to get in front of their customers. From the brand's perspective, offering people the chance to actually use your product feels much more powerful than hoping they'll notice your adverts or be persuaded by an influencer. Tulu services could be key to starting or deepening relationships between brands and their customers. Brands are already seeing lots of opportunities. They're realising that they can earn multiple micro-revenues from their products and have touch points with a much wider range of customers. On top of that, brands can find out how people actually use their products, what features they value most, how well the products stand up to wear and tear of frequent use, whether they're a joy to use or a pain in the backside. Helping users have a better experience and to engage with you can increase both brand recognition and loyalty. For the users, the residents, it's not just about the things you can rent. How you reserve them, access them and return them is just as important. Tulu works hard to make the user experience convenient and enjoyable. I liked the way they test things, introducing different types of product, then engaging with households so they can try out the concept and give themselves permission to use it. And of course, there's another group of stakeholders. Landlords need to benefit from this too, and are really getting on board. Tulu doesn't market this as a revenue generator. Instead, landlords are seeing this as a way to stand out. You can see Tulu's modular self-service display units on their website, and they look really smart. It's easy to see why systems like this will be in demand. If you're not providing this, tenants will find your property less attractive. 
Finally, I love the bold ambition, creating a business that makes a positive impact and a business that will grow big enough to actually change behaviour. So that's it for this episode of the Circular Economy podcast. Thank you to our systems thinking entrepreneurial guest this week, Yale Shima, co-founder of Tulu.io. And thanks also to Michael Smith of Regeneration.vc and Guillermo Massa of Refuse.eco for recommending Tulu. You can find out more about Yale Shima and Tulu and check out the other links we mentioned in the show notes at circulareconomypodcast.com. I believe we can all help make the circular economy happen through the choices we make at work and in our everyday lives. Buying pre-used, keeping what we have for longer, repairing it and making sure it has another life. Those choices send strong signals to companies and governments, making it clear we all want a better, circular and regenerative future. We can all help spread the word too. Talk about the circular economy and help other people find this podcast by leaving us a rating and a review on your podcast app. Email a screenshot of your review to podcast at rethinkglobal.info and we'll give you a shout out on the show. We've made it easier for you to find episodes on the key circular economy strategies or for a market sector or specific countries. Check out our interactive podcast index. There's a link on the podcast homepage at circulareconomypodcast.com and every episode includes an interview transcript. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, then please check out episode one, episode two and episode 101. You could also buy a copy of my award-winning book, A Circular Economy Handbook, How to Build a More Resilient, Competitive and Sustainable Business. The book takes you through the concepts and the practicalities with hundreds of real examples from all around the world. The Circular Economy podcast is brought to you by Rethink Global, helping you succeed with circular. You can find information on our talks, workshops, coaching and advice and circular economy resources at rethinkglobal.info or connect with me, Catherine Wheatman, on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.